Welcome to this episode of the Qualified Tutor Podcast, the, the first late night live podcast at the Love Tutoring Festival this week. Um, so if you don't know who I am, which I'm sure plenty of you don't, I'm pretty known for failing my A-levels. That's, um, I think, what Julia said. But Cleo, I, I'm just thrilled that actually you weren't lost, you were found. And, and not only did you find yourself, but somebody somewhere has given you the support. I've lost every piece of paper I've ever touched. So um, please never hand me anything on paper. You'll never see it again. That's the only reason why Apple introduced the iPad into this world was it because they wanted the autistic students in the US to have access to a curriculum. And if we're talking about learning and living differences, even just you know, managing to get through the afternoon when it's been a really challenging morning, physically and cognitively, it's just exhausting. Mm. Yeah. Welcome to the Qualified Tutor Podcast. I'm your host, Ludo Miller, and I'll be interviewing tutors and thought leaders from across the tutoring landscape to inspire, inform, and motivate you to become the best tutor you can be. The Qualified Tutor Community is a safe and supportive space for tutors who love to learn and grow. We offer training, resources, ideas, and a chance to connect with like-minded tutors. If you'd like to continue the conversation... Join our Qualified Tutor Community at www.qualifiedtutorcommunity.org or find it in the show notes. Welcome to this episode of the Qualified Tutor Podcast, the, the first late night live podcast at the Love Tutoring Festival this week, Monday the 28th of June. We are joined here by 15 uh, attendees and speakers, tech helpers, and of course myself. So there's a a fairly uh, a big crowd here to listen to uh, our three guests tonight. Um, and I'd like to welcome our guests, uh, Nina Jackson, uh, Cleo Tucker and, and Amanda Cremona. Um, I am so glad and, and very lucky to be hosting this podcast where we'll be diving into neurodiversity, access to education in, in, in this field uh, and support strategies for tutors. Nina is, as a little introduction, Nina is uh, the ninja a force of, of nature and one of the most captivating speakers I've had the pleasure of meeting and listening to, uh, including the event we've just had on, on supporting student mental health. Cleo Tucker is currently completing a, a BSc in biomedical science at King's College London and works for Manning's tutors uh, alongside her studies. Amanda is uh, an incredibly active and engaged community leader, um, runs uh, AJC Tutoring, uh, works as a supply teacher in a local school and, and changes the lives of a great number of students with dys dyslexia as well. So what a trio. Um, let us dive straight in to the podcast with no further ado. And I'm going to ask the three of you the first question, which is, what is your why as an educator? Amanda, do you want to start? Um, why as an educator? Um, I think it's perhaps changed in recent months. It's always been to help 
those that struggle um, for one way, reason or another. And that has sort of led me into the dyslexia field. Um, and um, so most of my students I have now have dyslexia. But I think as well in being self-employed over the last just over a year now, I've also become very passionate at trying to make some change because I've had um, parent meetings that have blown me away with how some schools are not supporting their child. And um, so I have a very, I'm very passionate about empowering parents in order to be able to speak to a school to help them to get the help that they actually rightly deserve. Um, so I have, you know, a mixed, mixed bag there. Yeah. We, we, a great place to start is empowering the parents and getting them to understand the relationship to, to education, which will then yeah. we hope yeah. trickle down to, to the student as well. Cleo, can I, can I turn to you next? Of course. Hi everyone. Um, so if you don't know who I am, which I'm sure plenty of you don't, I'm pretty known for failing my A-levels. That's um, I think what Julia said. Um, so I failed my A-levels at uh, 18 and I was diagnosed with ADHD about a year later, um, which really kind of explained my entire sort of educational history um, and, you know, basically everything about my life that I, I hadn't understood up to that point. Um, and it really motivated me to get back into education. And that's why I pursued uh, going into biomedical science, which I'm currently doing. Um, but I think that's a lot of my why as a tutor is that um, although I did well academically in school, I really struggled in a lot of areas. And, you know, I didn't know why no one else around me knew why I was, you know, not doing any homework late every single day. Um, you know, never brought books with me or pencils or pens or literally anything you could require a student to bring. I did not have. Um, so I think a big part of my why is that I think I have a perspective about education and how hard it can be for some students that really makes me want to, you know, connect with them on a personal level and, you know, maybe show them some understanding and compassion that they may not be getting in other places and I also think that because education for a while there really kind of sucked the joy of learning out of me, um, really made me question whether I would ever kind of get that passion back. It makes me really want to kind of help students get that love of learning back and really enjoy the subject that they're learning. I primarily do A-level biology and, you know, I've certainly seen with my students, a lot of them are kind of going through the motions. I think that's quite common for tutors to see their students doing. So I really want to kind of empower students to think about their subject as something they love and enjoy again. So I think that is my why. Sorry if that was a little bit long. That was a wonderful answer, Cleo. Please don't apologise at all. Um, thank you for that. We'll be coming back to, to some of those themes that you've brought up there in just a second. Nina, please, what, what, is, what is your why as, as an educator? Good evening, everybody. Um, I've got two whys, really. Number one um, is to give a nod and a thank you to educators, teachers and practitioners who, when I was a child, literally rescued me and recognised me as a human being, recognised me for my unusual ingredients and gave me hope and purpose in what was a really challenging time for me as a child. 
And what I then realised was that my second why is that there are so many what I call the lost boys and girls of the world who are misunderstood, who may not necessarily always have the language or the communication skills to say why their world isn't okay and that teachers are not enriched enough to actually understand some of the complexities in areas of learning and living differences, the neurological and the cognitive side, and also in the area of mental health and well-being. So there's, there's I, I guess, a number of whys, um, and that's from partly personal experience, but also as well, um, seeing how so many individuals were lost but Cleo, I, I'm just thrilled that actually you weren't lost, you were found. And and not only did you find yourself, but somebody somewhere has given you the support. So as educators, I think that we have this slightly invisible support um, blanket, which is safety and security, to allow people to extend their magical ingredients. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. And, and that draws together quite nicely and that, that certainly wasn't planned but it draws together the three kind of three of the strands of, of education Amanda talking about wanting to empower parents to understand more clearly talking about wanting to help students fall back in love with their subject and Nina thanking the educators themselves for for the work they do and, and kind of how recognizing how difficult that that can be um so thank you very much for those um now Let's explore um, accessibility and, and tech uh, a little bit further. This is uh, an area of expertise for 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 the three of you. Uh, and uh, Nina has been delivering two sessions today on um, the importance of, uh, of showing educators how they can use the, the their phone, their, their digital learning device around them to better support um, uh, students with with learning and living differences. So. First of all, uh, I'd like to ask the three of you, and, and we're going to start with Cleo on this one, if that's okay. How has accessibility improved learning for, for you? Um, well, it's improved it pretty hugely. Uh, I went from, you know, failing my A-levels to going into university. So clearly something did change. And I think that a big part of that was that once I was diagnosed, I could actually access that support um, weirdly, I think the biggest thing I'd have to shout out is that I have a tablet which has a pen. I know that seems like such a tiny thing, but if you think about it, it's it's genuinely made such a difference in my learning and in my studies. So I don't have to bring multiple textbooks or folders or bits of paper. Um, I um, I joke that I'm emotionally allergic to paper. I don't let anyone hand me anything on paper because I will lose it. I've lost every piece of paper I've ever touched. So um, please never hand me anything on paper. You will never see it again. Um, but essentially having it on a tablet and having all of my notes written out means that, you know, it syncs to the cloud. Even if, God forbid, I lost my tablet, all of my notes would still be there. Um, and, you know, it's a lot easier to remember to just bring this one thing that has everything on it than to bring five billion different things that we all seem obsessed with making kids bring into school. Um, <laughs> I see that uh, Jack is saying that in the chat. Um, 
yeah so I think that it's it's been hugely important for me and also something that I think people don't always associate with ADHD is perfectionism I used to have massive note perfectionism so I'd be like if my notes aren't perfect what's the point um and you know if you make one small mistake or you get distracted and you stop writing or they're talking too fast and it's difficult to keep up I'd be like well the notes aren't perfect I'm just going to give up there's no point this lesson's a write-off and now I'm like well, I can just erase as much as I like and just go back and change it whenever I want shuffle the pages reorganize stuff however I want um so it genuinely has made a huge difference for me and that, that, those are some fascinating <laughs> ways yeah okay and there's there's a stern lesson for anyone not to hand clear um a single <laughs> yeah um a bill maybe even maybe even a note maybe in the note a 10 pound note don't hand it to her at all oh. <laughs> um, amanda can we can we turn to you next um how has how has accessibility improved learning for, for you from learning for me, I mean, I, um, I've i been trying to sort of, again, bring in some accessibility things for my tu- students and get people, get them on board with what's available. And I have had to learn myself and I am still learning massively. Um, but things like, you know, coming um, forward with the scanning pen that we saw earlier, things like that. And I'm, I'm sort of going forward with schools and saying, you know, why aren't we looking at these? And um, and interestingly, it's it's something that really needs bringing back to primary school. But that's, you know, um, so that by the time they go to secondary, all of this accessibility is already in use. Um, and I think that's a really key thing that sort of needs to come in place and needs to change. Um, because so much of this stuff doesn't start until they're at secondary school. And sometimes then you've got all the self-esteem, you've got the confidence, you've got the don't want to do that in front of my mates kind of comments. Whereas actually, if it's their normality when they're younger, um, then it, it just flows on and they, nobody nobody knows. Um, for, for me, I'm a big note taker. Um, I have... Um, you know, myself, I'm a very slow reader. I read a lot and I love to read, but I I quite sort of slow processing with my reading. I have to reread quite a bit. Um, and I think having things online a lot more that I know that I can, you know, do and put and flick back and and I don't, you know, and, and it's there in front of me. And like I said, I write everything. So I'll note take on my iPad and, and everything because that's my memory is shocking. Um, so a lot from an accessibility from one thing I have noticed with, um, over the lockdown thing. And for me with my own work has been invaluable is actually this, the students that are, I don't know which way around to where this accessible to me, if you like, I mean, I've got like a, this line, like in Scotland, I've got some in North London now I've got, and they're people that were looking for a tutor that dealt with dyslexia around where they lived and they just couldn't find people whereas now you can pick and choose your tutor by what's available because of being online and the accessibility of that yeah um, um, and it's sorry, sorry just to pop in and that's that's drawn it right back to accessibility and tech hasn't it yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and i think we've you know we have been forced in the last year to learn it you know these tools were already there we just never really made ourselves use it and everybody has had to learn everybody's had to change and like I said for me it's it's certainly changed my tutor base 
for sure. And it's enabled me to work with students that I love, you know, I really love and passionate about working with. Yeah. Nina, I'm going to fire this straight over to you. What, what, what have you learned about accessibility and tech this year in the past, since, since the lockdown first begun? What have you learned about accessibility in tech for those with living and learning differences? I'll come to that, but I was getting all excited then about sort of listing off about the amazing sort of like thinking brain and the digital brain, because this is not a phone. As you know, I never call it a phone, it's a digital device. But what, I, what I've learned is that um, in the pandemic, some of our learning and living differences have really, really thrived with the right use of tech. Immersive yeah. reader online, not being around some of their peers where they feel bullied, self-esteem, self-confidence. But slowly but surely, there's been such a fear in education where education has not been fit for purpose because everybody's gone on about how bad tech is and, oh, they're going to get their phones out or, that oh, they're going to get their tablets out. But as we've heard already from Amanda and Cleo, um, the allowance, okay, of using a digital device for survival and progress has been huge. I've also been able to see how some some young people amazingly have used new forms of artificial intelligence and augmented reality to enhance their learning, even with VR as well in their homes, to be really immersed in experiences, but also for so many of our young people to really find their ways around coding and being able to, or being allowed to use technology now more than ever, because they weren't allowed to use it before because people would be scared. But they shouldn't be scared because accessibility, is, that's the only reason why Apple introduced the iPad into this world was it because they wanted the autistic students in the US to have access to a curriculum. And I know exactly what people are talking about. You know, a tablet with a pencil, you've got a scribbler, even if you've got really bad dysgraphia, it's sorted out for you. It empowers individuals. So the empowerment during the pandemic finally of allowing young people accessibility to inclusive world of learning is a woohoo moment for me. The first of many, hopefully tonight. Yeah. Man, Nina. <laughs> fear is fear is very much what you said though. It's been we have been forced out of that fear a little bit, haven't we? Because you know, teachers, educators, everybody to use tech mm. more. And that's that's been key. So, so, so let's go let's go further into that. What what changes would you like to see in in approaches to accessibility? You know, moving it going forwards. I find that phrase so kind of cliched. But moving forwards, what what changes? What further changes would we like to see in in accessibility in, in education? Who'd this like to one, go? All <laughs> three of you. <laughs> Me, I would like it to be more mainstream. I think, um, you know, there's, I think to bring it in when we know that kids have got to a point where they're really struggling and, you know, not leave it. I mean, I was blown away this week. I had an email from a parent who sent me a copy of an email from the child's school. They were trying to get their child maybe screened or assessed for dyslexia. 
And the, one of the sentences at the bottom of the first paragraph was, um, our SEND team won't assess or diagnose um, dyslexia unless the child is several years behind their hip peers and making little to no progress. I was blown away. And I said to the parent, I can't even imagine a member of staff thinking that, let alone writing it on an email to a parent. Mm. Several years behind. You know, so... From, I mean, it's just unreal. So from that, um, and, and to answer your question, I think that tech needs to be brought in sooner. Like I said, I think certainly midway through primary, by the time a child's got to certainly year four, if they're still really struggling, then there is something, there's a difficulty of some sort or a difference or a learning difference and, and things like that need to be supported. I mean, I'm a real advocate. It should be picked up much, much, much earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to bring in that tech to help them before they get further and further and further and further behind. And and on off the back of that, this year has been a moment for education to stop and rethink its strategies because yeah. it's been forced to rethink its strategies anyway because we weren't allowed into classrooms. So is now not the moment to rethink those areas that you've just mentioned there, Amanda, and, and certainly to rethink a school strategy that, that a child has to be several years behind where they are, where, where they, you know, where the rest of their year are. Um, so th- thank you. Thank you for bringing on that. Um, Cleo, can I, can I, can I draw on you here? Yeah, of course. I, I think that is very shocking. Um, we spoke about this when we were talking, catching up this week, several years behind. Um, I think kind of also speaks to an issue that I have with the approach to accessibility is that it's very much, you know, you have to be struggling academically to be considered to have something, you know, that's worth assessing. And for me, I didn't struggle academically until I hit my A-levels and then everything came crashing down because all of the not doing homework caught up with me. Um, But if you, you know, looked at my school reports, for example, there are a lot of flags there that really should have been picked up. You know, the constant lateness, not bringing anything with me, not doing homework. It's kind of showing there's an issue. But, you know, the, the approach is, well, if you do well in exams, you're fine. Um, and that just it misses so many students who are struggling it's just not showing up in their academic work yet and Mm -hmm. you really don't want to get to a point where it shows up because you know they failed their A-levels for example Um, you know as much as I think overall it hasn't been an overly negative experience for me it's not something I would recommend to a friend so I do think that you know Amanda is absolutely right that early intervention is key Um, And I also think that approaching accessibility is more of a universal design sort of concept and thinking, you know, not just about how do we improve accessibility for students that we know and have identified as having accessibility requirements, but how can we improve accessibility for all students who may have, you know, some kind of struggle? Would I, I know a lot of students who benefit from approaches that you would consider sort of targeted uh, interventions, you know, the use of tablets, writing things, who would not meet the diagnostic criteria for certain conditions, um, but would still benefit from that kind of approach. So I think as educators, we should always be thinking, you know, is my lesson accessible? Is what I'm doing accessible for students with dyslexia? Is it accessible for students with ADHD, with ASD, you know, anything um, out there, you know, how, what am I doing to improve the accessibility of this content? 
Um, and I think that's where we need to get in education is to a point where, you know, you're relying less on these targeted interventions for students who are falling behind, um, but also on the sort of broad approach that everyone should have learning be accessible to them. Yeah, and I think that's such a positive attitude to have in, in one's life anyways. How am I doing the right thing in what I do? Being, being self-reflective in, in your approaches and your strategies uh, is can really only be a good thing. And, and, and there's no reason why we can't apply that to, to the tutoring that we do. Um, even if we lead such kind of busy lives and we've got one student there and then we log on to another student two minutes later and there's, we have to try and build in that time to, to reflect on, on, on the way we're approaching it. Um, certainly, Cleo. Um, now, I want to draw on a, on a question that we've had submitted from, from Natalia, which, um, Nina, I'm going to point your way first. Um, Natalia's asking, what do we do in terms of trying to encourage the use of tech in education if parents are saying no to no to excessive screen time how do we manage that that uh, situation where we need or we'd like the students to use more tech because it's helping in their learning but they've already used too much that day look it's defining the difference between what is effective learning screen time and what is immersive play screen time um, we have this thing in our house which is it's an addo, which is an old devices off. And that's very important to balance because we know from a big Stanford University research study recently, particularly with being on Zoom for so long, not only are there neurological and cognitive issues, but also um, eye strain issues as well. But to come back to, I think there's a difference between we need to educate not just the educators but the parents as well as to what accessibility for learning really really is it isn't always about a tech tool it isn't always about a digital device for some mm. for some children it's accessibility to learning in a way that's individual to themselves. But if we're talking about accessibility for access to learning through a digital device, then only when we show parents what is possible with the marrying of the digital brain with the thinking brain, that we're empowering to see how well their children can do. For example, if a child can't get to school unless they, they're in a wheelchair or a set of crutches, you're going to make sure that they've got a wheelchair or a set of crutches to actually physically get there. If we're not giving students that empowerment to use aspects of technology for accessibility, then actually what we're doing is we're breaking some of the UNCRC, the, the rights of the child. OK, which is to have a supportive aid to be able to make sure that they're able to access learning, which is which is the best way for themselves. But I think that when we look at the term accessibility, we need to actually share with parents the difference between access for learning and general screen time where it's gaming watching TV, et cetera, et cetera, because it isn't just a laptop, desktop, hand top, okay, which actually means screen time, televisions, watching billboards, 
all of that where it's artificial it it has to be um empowering parents as well to understand and parents need to get off their own digital devices ados right now if you're a parent right now you have to get off you have to leave. No, so th- this is this is what uh, reflecting what Amanda was saying earlier in in her why isn't it? is is, is um, almost educating the parents in best practices, which will then, uh, as we've said, filter down. So so certainly yes, understanding Natalia, I hope that that helped a, a little bit um, with your understanding, or, or whether you just wanted to introduce that as a topic, which was very um, very much appreciated. So so thank you. To join the growing number of qualified tutors, enrol now for the Level 3 Qualification for Tutors. This eight-week online facilitated course covers the roles and responsibilities involved in teaching and learning, with a particular focus on inclusion, assessment and feedback. Upon completion, you'll be awarded a Level 3 in Education and Training from Ofqual recognised training provider Highfield Qualifications. You will also gain a Qualified Tutor Quality Mark, the independent Quality Mark for Tutors. Whatever your starting point, a qualification for tutors has to be the next step. Enroll today at qualifiedtutor.org forward slash training. Now, I'm just gonna I'm gonna shift the focus of the of the conversation a little bit now more towards schoolwork and more towards homework. Um, this is both in line with with where we wanted this to go with, but also, Katie, I'd really like to get your question uh, involved in this, and that was not so applicable to the conversation we've just had. So I want to, I want to turn towards that because the, the, our three guests and I have, have a lot of experience uh, in this as well. So um, Amanda, I'm going to, I'm going to start with, with you on this one. Um, in a year in which homework and, and some of its potential kind of shortcomings um, have been highlighted really more than ever, um, mainly because parents have now been, you know, intensely involved in their child's homework and they started to see the kind of banality of it at times. How can we rethink our our homework strategy for, for students? I think you might be on mute, Amanda, or you're just speaking very quietly. I was on mute. I was on mute. Do you mean from what they're given from school or from us as a tutor giving homework? You know what I'm going to say. It's both. okay so going on from a tutor I don't give homework um as within within my um practice I give I will give if I'm working with a younger student that is mainly because of reading difficulties I will maybe give some keywords to be reading through that week you know I'll I'll send the parent a list you know a few flashcards and say could you just do those each day with them something like that but I certainly don't give any worksheets or anything like that but I that's the type of students that I'm dealing with I'm not really working with with students that are out to pass their GCSEs or whatever I mean I do work with older ones but it's more the strategies around sort of their revision and things so um, I don't tend to as far as school goes I feel that there is an awful lot of homework given for homework's sake um and i just don't see the point in that if a student has not got a concept within class and needs a little bit of extra then yep maybe if they need to finish off something that they haven't done for whatever reason in class yeah but to to create homework just because oh it's tuesday and they need to have some geography homework 
I, I, you know, I don't sort of get that. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm open for discussion on that, but that's just my own personal one. And again, probably from my own school days of very much like Cleo not doing homework um, and, and things like that. But it's, I think for probably just so many, so many, so many, so many school children, it just becomes a battle. You know, that comes a battle at home for parents. It becomes a battle with what they're taking into school. It creates an enormous amount of extra work for teachers marking things. And actually, if we can get learning right within school, is there that need? But I'm open for debate on that one. <laughs> You're open I'm, to I'm, debate, and that's I'm a with you on that one. Sorry, Nina, go ahead. I'm, I'm with you on that, Amanda. Um, I... First of all, I just think that the whole use of language and calling it homework is wrong. Yeah. Okay. To to spark a child, a young person, for anybody, for learning, if we changed, if we didn't even set this tick box exercise of homework, but that we looked at everything that we did to empower ourselves to become better was all around own work. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, number one, you don't just own the work or what you do is you're actually doing what you get excited about. So, what happens then is if a child or a young person gets really excited about something they've done in tutoring or in school, if they want to explore further, that's brilliant, okay? Self-guided, exploration, being adventurous, discovery, curiosity, awe and wonder, okay, that's the form of best learning because once an individual is inspired and excited by something, they're more likely to digest it, to process it, to reflect it and to be a part of it. However, some children can't do homework at home. That's stupid for it in itself. And, and it's just been this thing for years, isn't it? You know, oh, we must set homework. Why? Why should we be setting homework? Actually, there's a balance here between emotional and well-being and emotional wellness, mental health and well-being for children and young people, as well as when teachers are, are doing excessive amounts of marking at home. I think we just need to be really careful between the, the bridge between schooling, tutoring and real life. Yeah. It's got to be a balance. It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I can I can say like within within some. Like I said, I say I don't I don't set homework and I don't set any formal. Like I said, like sending worksheets or anything. But I may well I do quite a bit with mine with learning about the world and nature. And we you know we did a topic on the Arctic and Antarctica. But bringing in all literacy to do with that. But it's like, so maybe the following week, well, why don't you Google and find what you can out about, you know, the Antarctica so we can talk about it next week. That's the homework, you know, actually go and watch Finding Nemo because I want to talk about the Barrier Reef or whatever it may be, you know, um, and, and that's the homework. So it's like you said, it's then conversational, it's language, it's everything else. But I know I can do that because of the students that I work with I'm not trying to get them through their maths GCSE or their A-level biology or (laughs) no I actually I completely agree with both of you um I know that 
I've said this like five times already, but I never did homework in school. And, you know, while I was doing my GCSEs, that didn't impact my performance at all. This is one of the reasons that they didn't think that this was a problem is that it had zero impact on my learning to not have done any of this homework. And not only is it, you know, a sign that, wow, they probably should have been paying a bit more attention to what was going on with me as a child, but also as a sign that why were they giving me this homework? And then further to that, when I didn't do the homework, I would be stuck with detention, which is just more time as being sucked out of my life. Um, you know, more exhaustion and, you know, less time to spend with my friends, to to be out of the classroom, to, you know, be a child. Um, and I just think it's it's really sad, to be honest. I think that a lot of homework is just, you, you're making it a chore to learn. You're making it something that students have to go home and do as a matter of like routine when they would rather be with their friends you know, learning something in a more sort of natural way to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also think it's sad because when I was younger, I would get really sort of obsessive about different topics. I want to do a lot of research on them and all of that kind of stuff. None of that counted towards my schooling at all. None of that counted as homework, even though I was learning significantly more than what the homework they were setting me was. But, you know, I, I was still, you know, sort of chastised for not doing homework, not doing what was expected of me repeatedly. And, you know, for what? And I'm with Amanda here. I also don't set homework for my students because I think, you know, you're already taking the commitment and time. I work with primarily older students to see a tutor. You know, this is most of the time I find that my students want to be seeing a tutor you've already committed that I'm not going to send you off to do worksheets Mm -hmm. you know I'll say oh here's something interesting you can read if if you want to I know that you're interested in this particular aspect whatever else just encourage them to do their own exploration their own learning and that's something I really had to kind of foster in myself as well when I got back into education was be like okay I'm not doing any of these like formative assignments if I don't think they're going to help me I'm going to do what I know is going to be useful for me and I'm going to save the rest of my energy and time to do the things that I love doing. And that includes learning now, whereas at school I had no energy and I also wasn't doing homework. So, you know, it was a lose-lose for everyone. I think what you've said there, Cleo, actually really, really hits home to the fact that, you know, you are being punished for not completing homework. And of course, then what happens is that punishment then gets you labelled, then gets people talking. So your self-esteem and your confidence is rock bottom. It puts you off learning even more. And I adore, Katie, what you've been putting in the chat. Yeah, I did. Really, you know, this, this whole thing about the parent aspect of, well, you know, if they're not keeping up with everybody else. So keep it up with who? You know, people say, you know, oh, they say. And we, we talked earlier about the the disgusting word of the English language called normal, which is just awful because we're all individuals. So I'm I'm really delighted to see that the interaction in the chat echoes so much of what we're saying. You're right. I mean, what what is the point of, of homework? Is that just a test to see whether or not, A, you can work on your own, or B, whether you can remember something that's gone on in the lesson, or, and if we're talking about learning and living differences, even just, you know, managing to get through the afternoon when it's been 
a really challenging morning. Physically and cognitively, it's just exhausting. Mm. Yeah. Enough mm. said. Mm. And it's nine pm now, and it's it's you know it's getting late. No, there's 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 it's very important. I mean, uh, podcast listeners won't be able to see this, but there's so much going in the chat, and, and really that's just a reflection of what everyone here is 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 wanting to contribute to to this conversation. Um, and uh, and this was always going to be the issue I knew with with this podcast was was going to be trying to keep it to a to a manageable length. So um, thank you, thank you so far for all of those contributions, both from our, our our speakers and from from those of you in 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 the chat box. On we're talking quite a bit here about how the the classroom environment can can draw down, can pull down on on those students with learning and living differences what what are some of the drawbacks of, of sitting in a classroom and 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 then being given homework and, and going home what what support strategies let's turn to this for a second what support strategies for students with with learning and living differences can tutors deploy that that teachers perhaps don't get the opportunity to deploy because of the classroom environment how how can tutors help with with some of these support strategies for what we've just been talking about? I I would go on. No, go on, Nina. You go first. Sorry, sorry. First of all, um, I think that what tutors can allow um, students to do is to actually to have physical mobility and not be stuck to in one space to a chair but the fact that you can still learn by moving around and that you can move around with or without a digital device. You don't have to have the eye connection with somebody else. You could be looking at you know, a different point in the room, but still have that, that engagement. And I think it's the, it's the, freed, the, the form of learning that has to be through physical freedom as well. Amanda? Absolutely agree. I think I was going to say um, create a safe zone because there is just you and, you know, or small group, maybe two or three others. Um, but, you know, anytime I do either one-to-one or within the school that I'm at at the minute, I'm doing some intervention groups, very small. And my first thing that I say is this is your safe zone. You know, it doesn't matter what mistakes you make. It doesn't matter, you know, what you ask me. There's no, you know, if you can use the word judgment, if they, if they're at that language ability, but you know, that this is it. And if you don't get it, you need to say, because this is your chance to feel safe in doing so. You haven't got all your peers here. You haven't got to put your hand up in front of the whole class. You haven't got to read aloud in class. This is your safe space and you need to use that. And that's sort of, and I think that that is what tutoring provides massively because it provides that like I said, it provides that slight intimacy that you can you can get the relation. It's like the relationship building, um, you know, and you can really hone in on what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. And it's the weaknesses that probably need as you know more support than anything. Can and building that self esteem, building that confidence, which is is also really key. But I think that safe zone is is the probably the one thing I would say. Yeah, and and isn't it interesting how you know just a few number of children would view their classroom as a safe zone given mm. we, we understand very much that that's happy and safe children learn most effectively that we can't even yeah. create that in our centers for learning 
Um, yeah. Cleo, did you want to Cleo, did you want to add something on, on that point? Just very briefly, I know we're slightly going to run over time. Um, but I think, no, I completely agree. And I think the two things that we can do as tutors that we can offer students that they often don't get in a sort of traditional classroom setting is just time and compassion. Yeah. You know, we we get to work with them individually. They have just more actual face-to-face contact hours with us than they typically do with their teachers. Um, and you know some students it will just take a bit longer for them to click and we can give them that you know space to to get to that point and that support I think a lot of barriers for a lot of these students is just in self-confidence and you know we get to work with them to build that in a way that their teachers often don't and um, I think it's it's important for all of us to be a little bit you know educated about some of the different conditions that students will have dyslexia all of that kind of stuff that we can really understand where they're at and we can meet them there whereas a lot of teachers just don't understand a lot of these conditions many teachers are excellent and are really striving to work towards you know greater accessibility and understanding and you know there are many very empathetic teachers but in my own experience you know None of my tutors that I ever had in school would ever, you know, tell me off or punish me for doodling or anything like that because they were there to help me individually. But teachers told me off all the time for doodling in class. So, um, you know, we get to we get to be more sort of present for them and empathetic and understanding of their situation. Uh, and I think that's that can be really valuable, even if, you know, it doesn't necessarily show up in grades. You know, we don't always get students to where we hope they're going to be. I think the personal impact that that can have on students' lives is, you know, indefensible. And how lucky we are that we get to, we have that space that we can do all of that. Look at the reactions streaming in. I don't know whether that's because of genuine what you've just been saying, Cleo, or whether Natalia has just reminded us all that we can we can do lovely things with our emojis. But um, absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'd like to say as well that it, it is only recently in my tutoring career that I have I've come to understand this area a little bit more. And, and that's a hundred percent because of, of the community that 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 we have built and because of the podcast that I've been lucky enough to, to host. Um, and I didn't think that this was an area that I would be involved in, in in the kind of the sphere of tutoring and in terms of actually being the tutor and having a student in this area. But it's uh, incredible what learning about this area can do for helping me and for helping loads of other tutors with students who aren't who don't have learning and living differences so understanding the way that that learning works for those who struggle with with conventional learning can really give you insights into how to improve learning for for those that, 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 that don't struggle with the, these these areas that we've discussed what society would call normal students but what we are never ever going to to name uh, again so um thank you all uh, very very much for those contributions I, I keep feeling that i am um i am uh thanking you for for what you're saying but that truly comes right from within um so it's been it's been a wonderful conversation i know that no one really wants to end this conversation now but we must do for the for the listening uh, the attention span of, of our listeners um but there was one more question that was uh, raised in the community earlier today um and this one is it's just directed towards nina just before we finish uh, <laughs> stop it jack just before we finished uh, nina could you let us know if you have seen the uh 
the speech to text tools that you were discussing that you that were involved in the first workshop someone was asking in the community have you ever seen these mentioned in a maths or, or formula based subject setting C can these be used not for just reading words creative writing english that kind of thing yes thank you there is there, there's an app for that <laughs> Right, there's an app for that. There's an app for that. There's also a web-based tool for that where you can actually say exactly what you want to see, symbolic, mathematical symbolics on the screen, and it's sorted out. Boom shakala, sorted. <laughs> okay, well, that's the answer. I, don't, I think you're going to have to keep picking your mic up off the floor, Nina, because you've dropped it about four times. Me? Um, this session. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, thank you all very much. Thank you to Cleo. Thank you to Amanda. Thank you to Nina. You're thank welcome. you to Katie. Thank you to Serena, to Natalia, to Linda, to Hope, to Victoria, to Sadia, to Natalie, and to Jack for keeping the whole conversation going in there. If it wasn't for Jack, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have had those wonderful contributions from, from you, uh, our attendees. Um, thank you for listening into the first episode of the of the late night live podcast at the love tutoring festival there will be three more of these on the tuesday the wednesday and the thursday evening tomorrow is the business of tutoring even more importantly i think for the discussion we've had today wednesday is our big teaching and learning day so please do return to that where we'll be finding out more about strategies for for learning within the tutoring environment thank you all very much Please don't go because uh, Julia has something uh, I think she'd like to say, but I'm going to stop the recording now. Um, and thank you to our guests and our speakers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Qualified Tutor podcast, where tutors share their expertise to support the tutoring community. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join our Qualified Tutor community at www qualifiedtutorcommunity.org or find it in the show notes below. We exist to connect, share and learn with you because tutoring is a small job that makes a big difference.